Bible study, everybody. Good to see you tonight. Glad you're here. Uh, we're going to take a few moments and pray and then get started with our Bible study for the evening. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you're present. We ask God that all those things would bring about an understanding, uh, a learning experience, a, a time of change. Uh, a time, God, where we're challenged tonight. We just pray that you would move in our midst. I just ask you for your Holy Spirit to have his way. I pray that we would learn from you. I pray that we would be changed by you. I pray, God, that we'd respond to what you speak tonight. So uh, give us ears to hear, and I pray that you'd have your way in our midst. We give you thanks. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S P E A K P I P E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Acts, chapter 14. Acts. That's A-C-T-S, Acts, chapter 14. Acts, chapter 14, I need a volunteer to read verse 9. Acts 14, 9. All right, thanks. Uh, interesting word here uh, as you read through this section uh, that Paul, and the reason it caught my eye was that two things happened here. Paul looked straight at the guy that he was about to pray for, and there's an interesting use of words there as to what happened, and then he had a, some kind of a perception that the guy had faith to be healed. Those are two parts of that that were of interest to me and it was characteristic in the new testament for people who were about to pray for somebody specifically paul but peter and and others that they were about to pray for somebody that they would they would look at them they would actually look at them before they prayed for them and uh and so i found that interesting that they there was eye contact Maybe it was uncomfortable. I don't know. Or maybe, who knows? You know, people are kind of uncomfortable with eye contact these days. 
And so uh, I have no idea how they felt about it. Then I would imagine people probably looked each other in the face a little more than they do now. But uh, he definitely looked this guy in the face before he prayed for him. And you see that in other places in the scriptures. You see other people doing that. And there's something to it. There's something to actually looking someone in the eye and, and speaking to them about whatever it is you're going to talk to them about. And whether or not you find that uncomfortable or not, I don't know. But uh, there is something to it, and there's something powerful about it, and there's something that we need to learn from that. And so I'm just presenting that right now, just bringing that up, because I believe that this was both a characteristic word that Paul was giving him, but it was also a characteristic look. And uh, both those things work in conjunction so if you go back one chapter in Acts, if you go back to Acts chapter 13 and verse 9, just keep your finger in 14, 9. That's where we're at. But if you look at 13, 9, read that, see what it says. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. All right. So in this passage, you, you hear there's a little added uh, information that Paul, when Saul, who was called Paul, looked at the sorcerer, Elymas or whatever, uh, it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So that was a little extra information there. So he gets filled with the Holy Spirit as he's standing there, and then it says he looked this guy right in the eye. Now, if you read the, the section there in chapter 13, uh, this guy was working against Paul. He was working against what Paul was trying to do. Paul and Barnabas had arrived, and, and they were going to speak to the person in charge, who they wanted to talk to, the governing official. And so they had been preaching. They had been teaching. The governing official was showing some interest in what they were saying, but this guy, this sorcerer, was afraid of losing his position with the governing official. And so he had seen what Paul and Barnabas were doing. And so he took it upon himself trying to deceive the governing official not to listen to Barnabas and Saul and to ignore them. And so he was actively working against what they were trying to do. He was actively working against their ministry. He was actively working against what they were trying to accomplish with this guy. And so that was the moment, this is the moment of confrontation. That this guy, he worked in some kind of magical arts. He was referred to as a sorcerer. So he could do certain tricks. And these tricks had amazed the, the governor. And so uh, he had a certain amount of influence. He had a certain amount of say with the governor. So, uh, and, and he'd gotten that through trickery. He'd gotten that through his sorcery. And so when he saw these, these two guys that were moving in real power and that God was using and that God was speaking through, he was a little bit concerned about his position. And so he was doing everything in his power to keep the governor away from those guys and to make those guys look bad in the eyes of the governor so that he could maintain his position with him, a position of influence and power. And, and so the moment came where Paul confronted him, and the way that he did that was, number one, I want you to think about this for a second. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. For what? 
You know, when you normally think of being filled with the Holy Spirit, what do you think of it for? Power. All right, good. Why else might you be filled with the Holy Spirit? All right. Any of the gifts, right? Yeah, what else? Could be authority. You're going to tramp upon snakes and scorpions. God's filling you with the Holy Spirit. Okay, what else? How about peace? Sometimes you need peace, right? And, and we know that God's got a peace, and he pours out his peace upon us. So sometimes you feel the Holy Spirit, you need peace, and so you receive that. Or, or joy, it could be joy, and you just overcome with joy when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's all kinds of reasons that God would fill you with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible, in you look at Ephesians, it talks about to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Like the way that it's described there, it's, it's like a constant filling to overflowing. And to just be full and overflowing in the Holy Spirit continually. And that was the word that he gave the, the church there. And so there, this filling, and you see in the book, like in the, in the end of the Gospels and in the book of Acts, you see that, that God will fill people with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, when he was with the disciples in John chapter 20, breathed into them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But that wasn't the baptism in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, but it was a filling. And there were other times when people were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so that's just not to be confused with the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which I believe is a separate event, but this is just something that God does. This is something that God pours out in our life. This is something that God uh, equips us with for specific reasons. And like I said, it could vary. It could be that we're about to do some task that we need to be full of the Holy Spirit. It could be that we need to move in some gift and we're full of the Holy Spirit or that we need to walk in authority and we're full of the Holy Spirit or we need peace or joy or whatever it is. And so there's reasons why God does that. Now, I find it interesting in this passage that Paul gets filled with the Holy Spirit to rebuke this guy and set things straight. So he gets filled with the Holy Spirit and that's why he was... Uh, given the Holy Spirit to do. And so he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you wouldn't normally think that, all right, well, I'm going to get filled with the Holy Spirit to put this guy in his place, this sorcerer. You know, and you can say that's authority, and, and it is, but I don't know that we always e equate those kind of things. you got a guy working against you. He's physically working against them. He is spiritually working against them. And Paul gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and then looks him in the eye and gives him the rebuke, gives him the left foot of fellowship, all right? And so that's what's happening. That's what's going on. And, and it was something that needed to happen. It was something that God needed to, to take place in this place for this time for the gospel to go forth the way that God intended for it to go forth. And sometimes that's just the way it goes. Now, we like to think, oh, well, it's always going to be easy. The doors are always going to be open, that it's always going to go our way or whatever. And that's just not true. And Paul's a great example of that numerous times throughout his missionary journeys that things didn't go his way and things weren't easy and things were difficult. I mean, you think about being in prison with Silas and singing at midnight, singing hymns at midnight in prison. Or you think about Peter being thrown in jail more than once. We looked at just last week, we were looking at the, how Peter was miraculously delivered out of prison and was knocking on the door and nobody let him in where the disciples were. But Peter and John had been thrown in prison before that uh, when they healed the guy at the, at the gate called Beautiful. And, and so 
it just wasn't easy. And, and, and persecution would come to the church in Jerusalem, and that would be the initial spreading of people out and the initial sending of the missionaries out. They were forced out to go out and share the gospel to the regions and to the areas around them. So it, it's not necessarily easy. Nothing is guaranteed to be easy. It's not necessarily smooth. Nothing's guaranteed to be smooth either. It's not necessarily the way you would have done it if you'd have planned it out, you know, six years ago or something. Oh, I, this is the way I want it to go. Well, it doesn't matter how you want it to go, really. It's going to go how it goes. And so what happens is what, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. It's going to go like it goes, but God equips us in the midst of that. And that's that filling, that's that infilling of the Holy Spirit. Those are the gifts that he's poured out. That's why we're praying for the greater gifts. And we continue to pray for the greater gifts till we get the greater gifts. Because it's an equipping. It's getting us ready. It's getting us all set to get out and do the work that God's called us to. Because getting out and doing the work that God calls us to isn't always easy. And getting out and doing the work God calls us to isn't always convenient. Getting out and doing the work God calls us to isn't always smooth. Sometimes it's rough. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's super inconvenient. And sometimes it's just the fact of the matter that we need whatever equipping, whatever power, whatever anointing that God wants to pour out into our life in order to see it through. So Paul here, he gets filled with the Holy Spirit to rebuke this magician, this sorcerer. And so, but I find it interesting, he looked the guy right in the eye when he did it. And so, move ahead a chapter, you got this guy here that he is about to, to pray over and the guy's about to be healed. He's, he's a lame guy, he's a guy who can't walk. And he's been lame since birth. And so, he's about to, to pray over him to be healed. And so... We see that happening, but he looks him in the eye. And so he makes this statement, and I want you to think about the statement he makes. He, he makes the statement, this guy has the faith to be healed. What does that mean? I mean, seriously, what does that mean? And how do you know? We don't know. I mean, you know, it's like their Holy Spirit flag on him. He's like, faith to be healed, and he saw it, and he's like, oh, this guy has that? Was there something about his face? Was there something about the way he was looking at him? Was there something that he said that wasn't recorded? We don't know. But somehow, some way, Paul was able to tell that this guy had faith to be healed. And faith to be healed is the general, although not universal, so understand what I'm saying right there. The general but not universal law of miraculous working in our life. It's faith. And so having that faith and understanding what it means to have that faith and being able to see that faith, there's a release of the supernatural. Now, in contrast to that, there's a passage in the Gospels where Jesus is at his hometown or near his hometown, and he did a few miracles there, but the Bible says he didn't do a bunch of miracles there because, do you remember why it says that? They didn't have faith. Yeah. Because faith is the general condition, not universal, general condition of miraculous working. And so there'd be people, 
most of the places that Jesus went, there'd be people that had faith. And so you'd see signs, wonders, and miracles taking place there. You'd see the sick being healed. You'd see demons being cast out. See the dead being raised. And it says, even when he was near his hometown, that he did some things. There were some people healed, and there was some deliverance, and there were some things, but just not in the quantity that you saw other places. And the reason that it was given that it wasn't in the quantity as it wasn't in the other places because people just didn't have faith. But faith is required. It's part of the equation. It is part of the equation to consistently see the miraculous. Faith is part of that equation. And so he saw in this guy the faith, the faith to be healed. Faith is presupposed as the condition of healing and wholeness. And this guy, it talks about him. He gives us this little word about him. It says that this guy had been among Paul's hearers for several days. And the literal tense of that, it says in there, it says he was listening to Paul. Or he listened. It, it, the literal tense of that word, that verb there, was that he used to listen or he had been listening to Paul for a while. So this wasn't just a moment. This wasn't just, oh, you know, he showed up five minutes later, he's got the faith to be healed. This is a guy that had been hearing Paul over and over and over again as he was sharing the gospel. This was a guy that was hearing Paul as he was sharing about the miraculous or whatever it was that Paul was sharing about. This guy had been hearing it for a number of days. And so he had been around there. He had been around Paul for however many days Paul was there. And so understanding that is to understand that he is being fed through the scriptures. He's being fed through the testimonies of Paul. He's being fed through whatever it was that Paul was talking about. And so through that process and through that feeding that was going on, through him hearing the word, through him being able to be exposed to that word over a number of days and occasions, during those days, there came a point in his life that was visible to Paul where he had the faith to be healed. Again, this was a guy that had been lame from his birth. So if you've never walked on your legs, what do your legs look like? They're atrophied. Right. Meaning? They got narrow muscle. Right. Because you can't move them. And so they atrophy and you just got like skin and bones on your legs. And, and that's the way it is. And so you think about that for a second, just like the guy that was at the gate called Beautiful. When Peter and John went up to that guy and they, and they said, silver and gold, we have none but the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That guy had never walked before. And so his legs were atrophied. And yet when they said that and they gave the command, the Bible says the guy jumped up and began to leap around. Not only just walk, but to actually perform. Like, like, you know, calisthenics or something. The guy's leaping around, all excited about it, running around. And so there's a creative miracle that takes place there. That you could say, well, it's a healing. It is a healing. But there's something creative that takes place because that guy didn't have the musculature to be able to do that. Something else was going on. And so Paul, and this is years later, but Paul 
has is in the same kind of a situation where he's looking at this guy. He'd been seeing this guy for a number of days. This guy had been listening to him. This guy had, had been responding. He'd been coming back. And however it was that he was there, he was there. And Paul would look at that now. And again, they had enough sense to know this guy's never walked before. His legs don't work. And so whatever miracle was going to take place there was going to be a miracle of healing, absolutely. But it was also going to be a miracle that would be creative by its very nature. That guy needed musculature and never be able to walk. Well, God can do that. God's able. All right. But just understand the situation. This isn't a guy that had fallen and couldn't get up. This is a guy that never got up ever in his life. He never walked. And so because of that, you know, you're looking at a, a, like a like according to Hoyle miracle here of creation going to take place in that guy's legs. Well, he knew that. And so he'd been one of Paul's hearers for several days. He'd been listening to him. And, and so we have this idea of belief, of faith. We have this idea of faith. Now, I'm going to look at a few places in the scriptures where, where you, you hear this again. And I think too often, I think we skipped over this somehow. Like, why? Why do we skip over these verses? Because they're an active part of how God does things. And if, and if that was required, and I'm going to say required in the ministry of Jesus, you think it's important for us? Probably, right? That, that if Jesus was, and, and the Bible says that Jesus was hindered in the number of healings that he could do near his hometown through their lack of faith, what does that say to us? That this is an issue for us, okay? And this is an issue that we should have some kind of an understanding of, we should have some kind of an understanding about. So let's look at a few verses. Uh, let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, and I'm going to need a volunteer to read verses 21 and 22. Matthew 9, 21 and 22. She said to herself, If only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Okay, so we actually have a description of faith here. What's the description of faith? What is this woman's faith? What does she say? She just touches ropes. All right, she gives a logical statement here, right? If, if P, then Q, right? If I can just touch the hem of his garment, then I'll be healed. That's her faith. That's it. There's no more. Like, in other words, there's, there's no hoop to jump through. Now, we're not looking for some kind of theological statement here. That was not a theological statement at all. That was a simple declaration, a simple declaration. If this, then that. What's the declaration? If I just touch the hem of his garment, then I'll be healed. Was there anything magical about the hem of his garment? No. There's nothing magical about it. 
But there was something in her mind, there was something in her heart, there was some kind of faith that was in her that told her, I just got to touch that, I'm going to be healed. That's the faith. That's it, though. It, there's, no, there's no theological explanation of healing. There's a, she's not, she doesn't have to understand the cross, or she doesn't have to understand the, 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 the sacrifice. She doesn't have to understand any of those things. I mean, none of that take place even. All she had to know was, if this, then that. That didn't require Jesus to say anything. That didn't require Jesus to do anything. That didn't require Jesus to lay hands on her. That didn't require Jesus to make any kind of a pronouncement over her. That didn't require anything. All it requires is that she touched the hem of his garment. Then she'd be healed. She knew it. That was her faith. But what I want you to see about that faith, even though it's not a huge theological statement, it's not understanding the, the, the ins and outs of the, the sacrifice of Jesus and what by his stripes we were healed, anything like that. It is a simple, simple thing. A simple thing. That was between her and Jesus. That's it. And it didn't require anything from him except for to stand there so she could touch the hem of his garment. That was it. And you see a similar thing when the apostles, as they began to rise up in Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost where they'd bring sick people out into the streets. And the Bible says just the shadow of Peter as he passed by, if the shadow touched them, they'd be healed. Well, they likely had a faith, and I'm just saying this, that if just his shadow touched them, that they would be healed. Because what did Jesus declare to this woman? What did he say to her? Your faith has healed you, Right? Your faith has healed you. That's the lesson that Jesus, the reason he spoke it out loud was to give the lesson. It was unnecessary to speak that out loud for that woman to be healed. That was not the case. The woman was going to be healed when she touched the hem of his garment. He said that for his disciples' sakes and for our sake. That's why he said it. He said that so that we would understand that that simplicity, that faith that that woman had, if P, then Q, that's why I healed her. It's the general condition of the miraculous. I just wanted to point out in this story, though, that there's nothing elaborate about it. There's no elaboration on this. It's a simple thing. We want to make it complicated. It's just not. We want to somehow make it more complicated than it is, but it's just not that complicated. It's simple. And because it's simple, there's something powerful about that and there's something really important about that that we just said we have to take it in. It's the simple things that matter. And it's the simple things that make huge differences. And it's the simple things that, that change things. It's the simple things that matter the most. And, and we don't like that. We want to make it complicated. We want to make a big deal out of something else that doesn't matter because it distracts from the simplicity of what this is actually what matters. And if that's actually what matters, then that's what we should major on. You want to see the miraculous, that's what you major on. If you want to see God move, that's what you're going to major on. 
You're going to major on this kind of a simplicity, this kind of a faith. Because that's where you're going to see it. Somebody look at, uh, we'll keep going, Matthew chapter 9, verses 28 and 29. All right. So why do you ask him? Do you believe what? That I can do it. That I can do it. That's why I want to know. Do you believe I can do this? They're like, yeah. All right. According to your faith, what faith? What? What? How simple is that faith? What was the faith? What was their faith? I just believe you can do it. I really believe you can do this. That's how simple that faith was. According to your faith, you are healed. Blind people see. Again, he's saying this as a lesson. Why are we ignoring that? Why? That's the lesson. We want to make it about him touching the guy's eyes. The lesson he was teaching, though, through that that we see, and the one that we hear from him, is that according to your faith, you're healed. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Go your way. Your faith has healed you. All right, let's go to Luke chapter 7 and verse 50. Luke seven fifty. All right, so your faith saves you, your faith heals you. You think it's a really complicated thing? Read it, read it up above that, Dave. What, what was the deal? The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this so we could forgive sins? Further up, see who the woman is. Yeah, the sinful woman. You can probably just read the the heading over the chapter, or the, the paragraph. Oh, the sinful woman? Yeah. Oh, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. The woman in that town who lived a sinful life had learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. All right, you can stop. So she, so you see her response to Jesus. She, she breaks the perfume. It's like a year's worth of wages. She cries. She washes his feet. She wipes his feet off with her hair. She shows all this. It's just a simple, it, really, it's a simple demonstration of her faith, her, her love of Jesus. That's it. That's what happens. Pharisees can't stand it because they got Jesus letting it happen. Doesn't he know she's a prostitute? The answer to that is, yes, of course, everybody knows she's a prostitute. So 
It didn't take a word of knowledge to know this woman was a prostitute. So she's a prostitute. And you can call her a sinful woman if you want, whatever you want to call her, but she's a prostitute. So she's living as a prostitute, which in that time normally also had a religious connotation to it. Sometimes did, sometimes didn't, where they were shrine prostitutes, all that kind of thing. So she comes in and simple, simple. Jesus, she shows how much she loves him, however you want to describe that and understand that. Um, and he actually explains it that way. But he just looks at this woman at the end of all that, and he just says, your faith, your faith, your faith, your faith, you're a prostitute. Your faith has saved you. And you know what? Tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Tax collectors and prostitutes are in the kingdom of God before religious people are. And there's a simple reason for that. It's called simple faith. Complicating stuff, making stuff up, turning everything into a religion, turning everything into stuff that's complicated, whatever. It doesn't get you anywhere. It's a waste of time and effort. It's a waste of time and effort. A simplicity of faith, simplicity of faith is what changes things. Healing, the miraculous, salvation, it all comes from that kind of a simple faith. And you got to think about that woman. She didn't care what those Pharisees thought, did she? Nope. She didn't care what them Sadducees thought. She didn't care what those rich people thought. She didn't care what any of those people thought. You know who she cared about, what they thought? You got it. You know. Jesus, right. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. And look how full of grace he is. Look how full of mercy he is. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't worried about that she was a prostitute. He wasn't worried about it. Because he knows just what I just said. It's people like that and them tax collectors that are entering the kingdom of God before all those guys that were aghast that he was letting that happen. Now, I know I say this stuff a lot and it probably loses some of its punch because I say it so much, but I really want you to consider that, how powerful a simple faith is. Really, just think about it. Think about how powerful it is. Do you believe I can do this? Yeah. Okay, well, you're healed according to your faith. <clears throat> now, these are blind people, blind men that could see. According to that, that little statement of faith, that's enough. That's enough. This guy that we're looking at in Acts chapter 14, he didn't say a word. The Bible says Paul just looked at him and could see that he had the faith to be healed. To me, that's powerful. Let's look at um, Luke chapter 17, verse 19. And Jesus said to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. All right, again, your faith has healed you. 
I mean, I'm not even picking out every time he says this. All right? We're just getting a smattering here. But this is such a common statement, and you've read it so many times when you read the Gospels, that it seems like we just skip over that. But it's so... We, and I've heard people talk about this. And it's like, well, you don't want people to feel bad if they don't get healed. You know, meaning... If you just blame it on their faith, then maybe they just don't have enough faith and it's their fault. You don't want them to feel bad. Maybe I do, actually. Maybe, maybe it's good for us sometimes to recognize that we need to simplify our faith. Maybe it's good sometimes for us to recognize that it really isn't that complicated. That, that this is just a simple faith that says, Jesus, you can do this. And if we don't have that, and we're not in that kind of a position, then there's a good chance we ain't receiving anything. All right. I'd rather know that than, than just keep going through the motions all the time and not getting anything. Well, maybe I just don't believe it. Maybe. There's things I prayed for I didn't get. There's healings I prayed for I didn't, I didn't get healed with. Well, I want to uncover and I want to look under everything I can possibly look under and say, all right, well, I want to receive this. I want this. How am I going to go about this? Well, with the simplicity of faith is how I'm going to go about it. If that means I need to drop back a little bit and rethink how I'm seeing things, if I need to drop back a little bit and rethink, all right, well, how am I responding to God? How am I seeing God in this situation? How am I seeing Jesus in this situation? Am I looking at this through that kind of a lens, that simple lens of, God, you can do this, I receive. If I'm not doing that, maybe that's what I need. But if I'm always blaming something else, or I'm always looking outside to some other circumstance or whatever it is we're looking at, then where does the change in us, how we ever get there? Because maybe there needs to be a change in us. Maybe there needs to be a change in the way we're seeing things. Maybe there needs to be a way, a change in the way that we're understanding things. That's all right. That's how we grow and eventually receive and stuff. But until we know we need to change or until we know something's messed up or until we know something is out of whack, how do we fix it? Well, if Jesus said this this many times, which is more than what we're reading, your faith has healed you, your faith has healed you, your faith has healed you, then maybe there's something that we, I, need to re-examine about my faith. Luke 18.42. This will be the last one we look at. Luke 18.42. Yeah, so good. Another blind person. Yeah, it's your faith has made you well. I think I think we've got it backwards sometimes. You know, because we we kind of exalt people who are healers a little bit, like there's something they're doing. Like we make it about their faith, and I don't know if it's really about their faith. I think it's about our faith. I'm not sure that the faith healer, I think the faith healer is good at inspiring faith in people, but I think it has more to do with the faith of the people that he's praying over than it has to do with his faith. 
And there may be some some thing to do with that. I have no idea. But I mean, I keep hearing here, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. That's what I keep hearing. And so there's something to that. There's something to our faith. There's something to a simple faith that brings healing and wholeness into our lives. And it has more to do, I believe, with that than it has to do with the faith healer. And like I said, the faith healer, most faith healers I, I've ever seen before are really good at inspiring faith in people. Like they, they, can, they can really churn that up in us, that kind of faith to believe for the miraculous, that kind of faith to believe for the healing, that kind of faith to believe for whatever it is that we're believing for. And they're really good at churning that up. But I believe it has more to do with the faith that's in us, the faith that's in me, for me to see that healing and for me to see that manifestation of the Spirit, for me to see that deliverance or whatever it is that God's going to do. I think that has more to do with the faith in me than it does in them. And so I want to cultivate that. I want to cultivate that faith. And, and we know faith comes by hearing. And this guy had been hearing Paul for however long. And so as he listened to Paul, as he heard Paul teach, as, he, as he's listening to what Paul had to say, he's listening to the scriptures, he's listening to him opening up the scriptures, probably the stories that he was telling and the things that had happened and the testimonies of things that had been done. He was inspired. His faith was churned up. And so the Bible says that, that Paul got a perception of that, whatever that was. He looked at that guy, and he perceived that he had the faith to be healed. And you can call that a word of knowledge. You can call that a move of the prophetic in Paul's life, which maybe it was. You can even call it a discerning of spirits that was taking place there, where he's looking at it, and if you want to label some kind of a gift, maybe it's one of those. I don't know. But something happened, and this guy got churned up in his faith, and Paul looked at him and perceived that he had the faith to be healed. So however that happens, it happened. And maybe we need to get better at perceiving when people have the faith to be healed, right? Like get a little better at that. At the same time that we're perfecting our own little simple faith and belief for healing, Let's get a little better at perceiving when people have the faith to be healed. Because I think it works in both ways. Like, I want to receive, but man, it's so nice to pray over people and see them get healed, right? And so just being able to pick up on that and you're seeing that in people that they just have that faith and you know they got the faith to be healed. There were some times when I was traveling that uh, I'd be, at the end of the service, we'd just pray over people. And there'd be sometimes I'd be praying over people, and and I just knew, like I, I'd see somebody, I'd be like, this person's gonna get healed, and I don't know if I defined it, they had the faith to be healed, or however it was. I just knew. I looked at them, and it's like this person's gonna be healed. And 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 so many times that would happen. There were some people I prayed over. I was like, all right, I'm just praying a prayer of faith. That's it. I have no idea. But there were other people I prayed over. It's like, wow, this is happening, and I know this is happening. And I, I just want to get better at that. I want to get better at being able to see that and be able to see that in people. Like, yeah, 
All right, this is happening. They got the faith to be healed. That's what's happening. All right. So this the, the faith that's described in Acts chapter 14, where we're at, because they, they describe this guy's faith. And the word they use in, in Greek, there's different words for faith. And some words that it's used for faith are active words, like active, like action verbs. And some are passive. Like there's, um, I think you understand what I mean, right? Yeah. So, so it's the same word translated in English, faith. But sometimes it'd be more active. Like you're actually doing something with it. And other times it's just more passive. And the faith that's described that this guy has is the word for a passive faith. It's not even an active faith. But the faith to be healed in this, in this circumstance, and Paul sees in him, he recognizes it. He sees how he's got the faith to be healed. Great. It's a passive faith. It's something that, like when Jesus asked the guy, do you believe that I can do this? Oh, yeah. That's a passive faith. He didn't ask him, you believe I'm going to do this? He didn't say that. He's like, can I do it? Well, yeah. All right, good enough. Now, and, and so I, I also wanted to say that because don't overcomplicate. It, oh, so good at that. Don't overcomplicate. It's like, well, maybe my faith wasn't you know, strong enough or active enough. It doesn't have to be. Can Jesus, can you do this? Yeah. Well, you got the faith to be healed. Be healed. Go your way. Your faith has healed you. So he hears the word. He feels the power in his soul. This is the guy that Paul's going to pray over. He's moved inwardly, and he draws the healing with a passive faith. He draws the manifestation. And it's like that woman uh, that touched the hem of Jesus' garment. The Bible says that he could feel the healing virtue leave him, the power leave him. Now, you want me to explain that? I don't know. I don't know how to explain that. I'm just saying that's what happens. And so there's a drawing of that that takes place, that manifestation of whatever that healing virtue is, whatever that power is. There's a drawing of it, and then there's the manifestation of the healing. But that's what's happening. And so Paul, he's ready to pray over this guy, and he's going to pray over this guy. He sees, looks at him. The Bible says that he fixes his eyes on him, likely in an uncomfortable fashion. <laughs> sees that he has the faith to be healed, and that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. And so this lame guy, had been lame from birth, jumps up and is healed. Now, I, I drew a reference back to uh, Acts chapter 3. And in Acts chapter 3, verses 2 through 10, that's the account at the gate called Beautiful. And that's that account with Peter. And, and this is the account with Paul. What are the similarities between those two? Well, there's a couple of similarities I want to just point out. One both those guys that they that they ministered to or were lame from birth, atrophied, never walked, never had any kind of <clears throat> never had any kind of locomotion like that. Lame from birth. 
So that's one similarity. The second similarity is that in both the accounts, in Acts chapter 3 and in Acts chapter 14, the Bible tells us, now these are two different guys, this is Paul and Peter, it says that they fixed their eyes. They fastened their eyes on whoever it was they were going to speak to. So those are the two similarities that, that you see before the healing. Of course, they're both healed too. That's another similarity. But I, I find it interesting that they fixed their eyes on them both times. Like looked them right in the face. Looked them right in the eye and then spoke whatever it was they were going to speak of them. And so I don't know exactly every reason for that, but I'll tell you that it encourages me that when I minister to somebody to look them in the face. That's what it encourages me toward. Yeah, I got in trouble for that once, actually, in a church, because I, I stared at somebody before I prayed over them for healing, and the pastor took offense at that. Yeah. He told me that if I ever stared at his wife, that he would punch me in the head. I was like, all right. Literally, that's what he told me. But it was the same guy I used to comb my hair before service and stuff, so... <laughs> I don't know how serious he was. But people sometimes get uncomfortable when you stare at them. Or when you stare at somebody else, <laughs> apparently. I didn't know that, but yeah. So uh, I'm encouraged to do that. I've been encouraged to do that. Uh, when I was on the road um, doing this, I would stare at people. I would definitely take a look at people and just really look into them, look at them before I ministered to them. And oftentimes when I did that, God would give me words for them. Oftentimes when I did that, I would see some kind of vision for them. Oftentimes when I did that, I would hear something for them. Uh, but there was something about just physically making eye contact with somebody and looking them in the face that opened up all kinds of opportunities for ministry. So these guys, they seem to know that. They seem to understand that. That's exactly how they went about it. And the other part and the other piece of this was that when they looked, they could see spiritually somehow through the gifts of the Spirit, whatever it was, they could see when they had the faith to be healed. And if we can learn to do that, me and you, if we can learn to do that, we'll see the miraculous more often. We can learn to take that moment with people. Because sometimes you'd be surprised who has the faith to be healed. I mean, you might be shocked that you might meet somebody on the street that's got the faith to be healed. You might meet somebody that, that you wouldn't think would have anything to do with God. And you've seen this during evangelism time. If you've done evangelism enough times, you run into people. They don't look like they're interested in God at all. And yet that might be the person that has the faith to be healed. We don't know. And, and I think that's why it's a matter of discernment. I think that's why it's a matter that God opens up that kind of understanding to us. But it's supernatural. It's miraculous when it happens. And so I want to encourage you to be open to that. Two things I'll encourage you as to minister. When you're ministering for God, look people in the face and learn to hear, recognize, see, perceive, whatever that means, that they have the faith to be what? Healed, saved, whatever. And it's not an active faith. 
It's just a faith. The other side of that coin is let that kind of a faith activate in you to receive. Really. I think God's got so much for us that we overcomplicate, we talk ourselves out of, when the simplicity of it is just receive. Stop talking yourself out of the miraculous. Stop, stop talking yourself out of that healing. Stop talking yourself out of that provision that God wants to give. Stop talking yourself out of whatever it is that God wants to do in your life. Stop talking yourself out of it. And with a simple faith, I know you can do this, God. Just approach him. Let it happen. Receive. And to me, that's the other side of it. If you really want to be good at the ministry side of it, you got to kind of be good at the side of receiving too. Because once you learn to recognize that kind of a simple faith in you, I think it becomes easier to see it in others. All right, let's take a moment to pray. Father, I want to say thanks for uh, just some practical stuff tonight about ministering and about the miraculous, some practical things about healing, just some practical things about faith tonight, some practical things about how to minister to people effectively. And Jesus, I just want to say I'm sorry for missing how many times you say your faith has healed you or ignoring it, or glossing over it, or explaining it away in my mind. But I pray a renewed simplicity about your faith has healed you. Renewed simplicity about what that means and and what that looks like. Do you believe I can do this? I do. I do. If I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Yeah, that's simple. It's so simple that, that, God, I think sometimes we just overlook it. God, I pray a revival in us of the simple. I pray a revival in us of the simplistic and the simple faith, but the miracle-working, healing faith that's in every single one of us. Pray that you'll teach us how to receive. I ask God that we'd be more effective as we minister, more effective as we speak into people's lives, more effective as we speak healing over people, and to not be afraid to let people know it's their faith that's healed them. I just pray you give us the discernment to see and perceive. Thanks, God. Give you thanks tonight. I thank you for the faith that's in us. I ask God that we would see that active and powerful in the days and the weeks ahead. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen. Good to see everybody tonight. Bless you. Glad you're here. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies.
That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community that. No, yeah, see, a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah. 